We've interviewed several recovering attorneys on this podcast. All of them got through law school only to realize that the law wouldn't be the fulfilling career that they once thought it would be. And the pull towards creativity and writing is just too strong for these folks. So they answered the call to be a copywriter. Our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is another recovering attorney and Think Tank member, Ash Chow. Since graduating from law school, she's thrown herself into writing everything from fan fiction to launch copy. And today she's known as the expert in pre-launch copy and strategy. All of the stuff that you need to do before a launch to make sure that it's a success. She knows so much about this that we focused most of our discussion on the topic of pre-launch strategy. Before we dive into our conversation with Ash, this episode is sponsored by the Copywriter Club in Real Life. So that's her in-person event happening March 28th through 30th in Nashville, Tennessee. The room is filling up and it can only hold a certain number of people because it's a boutique hotel. So there are spots left if you want to join us. I am very excited to hang out with people in real life again since it's been two years. And I just, I miss it. I miss people. Yeah, we um, haven't even seen each other in two years. That's true. This is the yeah. first time Rob and I are, that's so, I feel like I see you all the time, but you're right. We haven't touched each other. <laughs> not, <laughs> like, not that I mean, we do a whole lot of touching. We haven't hugged each other and just like high-fived and all those more appropriate things. Like we haven't done that in two years. And so this is going to be so much fun. Um, we have speaker, incredible speakers now that we've nearly finished the lineup. Uh, speakers like Mike Kim, Raven Douglas, Bridget Lyon, uh, Ash Chow, Jude Charles, Linda Perry, John Mulry, uh, Brian Sparanello, and so many more. Um, and we're planning lots of fun activities, social activities. Um, I just, I'm feeling really excited. So if you have any interest and you just want to check it out, um, possibly travel to Nashville to join us, we will link to additional information in the show notes. Now let's jump into our interview with copywriter and pre-launch strategist, Ash Chow. Like most copywriters, I was someone who was super creative as a kid. You know, like I really loved reading. Um, I got straight A's in all of my English subjects and I low-key wanted to be an author. Um, but as you know, like as I got older, I got a lot more practical and it did feel like my creativity really got stamped out of me. But pretty much at the age of 15, I was super inspired by like all the legal dramas I was watching at the time. And I just I really wanted to to work hard and get into a really good career which at the time I believed was like being a lawyer. So I pretty much at the age of 15, I was like, okay, that's it. I am going to go to law school. <laughs> I worked my butt off. I studied really hard. I wanted to get into like one of the best law schools in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and I did it. Like I hit that goal. I got in and I was like super excited only to get there and realize like this isn't it. Like this isn't actually where I wanted to be or what I wanted to do, um, which was really like, really distressing when it was a goal I'd worked so hard for like ever since I was like mid-teens pretty much um, and what kicked it off was like uh, like halfway through law school I managed to get like a legal internship um, and one of my tasks at the time was to like read through all of this email correspondence between um, our competing law firms and lawyers like 
they tend to write in a really pretentious way, or at least like all the all the things I was reading, it came off as very pretentious, like lots of jargon, lots of unnecessarily, like lots of complex big words. And I remember like just reading this email and being like, oh my goodness, like this is what I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life. Um, and again, that was like a super distressing moment. And around that time as well, my creative itch had started to come back and all I wanted to do was just start writing again um, and telling stories and being real with people instead of writing pretentious emails. Uh, like like most copywriters, again, I think like words of affirmation is like my big love language. Um, and when I was going through like a really dark and tough time when I was younger, words of encouragement and reading like other people's personal stories was what really helped helped me through that tough time. So I had like this urge or this like calling <laughs> to want to be that for someone else. Like I wanted to write words that were going to help other people through a messy time feel like less alone and like they were going to be okay. So I started a blog um, and I started like writing a bunch of personal essays, like documenting this mini quarter life existential crisis I was going through, like um, and sharing how I didn't know if I wanted to just persist with law school or start a side hustle and all of that. Um, And that blog post ended up landing in front of a business owner who really resonated with my writing. And she reached out to me and she was like, hey, like, can I hire you to write for me? Um, And that's when I discovered copywriting was a thing and that you could get paid decent money to write. uh, And the rest is history. So I have a couple of small questions kind of to pepper in through your story. When you were when you wanted to be an author, what did you want to write? I think I wanted to write lots of um, fiction. So I was a really big fan of Anid Blyton, I think, when I was a kid. So she wrote like like the magic faraway tree and all of these stories about like fairies and wooded creatures being able to talk. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like I want to write these sorts of stories. And then obviously like my taste evolved as I got older. Like I wanted to write a lot of like young adult sort of stuff. Like, um, you know what's funny? I had a Wattpad and – I wrote, this is really embarrassing. I wrote this like Harry Potter fan fiction story on Wattpad that ended up winning like an award. Oh my God. So like, I like that was the sort of stuff I was writing. I mean, I don't want to write fan fiction anymore, like no way, but it really, that just reminded me, like I really did want to become a writer when I was younger. Um, So yeah. Yeah, it was so hilarious. And then did you finish law school before you made the switch over to copywriting or did you just opt out and say, nope, I'm done? Yeah, yes, I did. I did. I always joked that I would have been like disowned if I hadn't finished law school. Um, Like, because I was about, I was in my third year when I decided, when I started copywriting, Um, it was like my third year out of a five-year degree. So it like I'd already invested all of this time into it and I was like, you know, I might as well finish it off. Um, So I do have the fancy piece of paper that says Bachelor of Laws. So yes. Can you talk, Ash, a little bit about just that, that knowing that you're talking about? You know, how did you know that that path that you wanted for yourself wasn't actually it beyond like reading the copy and the emails that were really pretentious and just being like, that doesn't resonate with me. Like, was there something else within you that just helped you know that wasn't for you? Yeah, it was this like really strong gut feeling. I just I just couldn't stop thinking about how 
this wasn't what I wanted to do and how it was more like I wanted to make a bigger impact in the world, which sounds really corny, but it was like, I didn't feel that I could achieve that by just being a lawyer. So like I said, like I really wanted to be able to share some of the stuff um, I had gone through so that I could help other people who were in a really dark time get through that as well. And I felt like I couldn't do that as a lawyer, but I could do that if I had my own if I had my own platform. And around that time, I'd started to listen to a lot more entrepreneurial podcasts as well. And I think like hearing how young some of the people, like some of these people were, a lot of them started their uh, their uh, businesses in uni. Like I, I read a lot of stories from the Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneurs. And it made me realize like I didn't have to reach a certain age or I didn't have to reach a certain milestone in order to do what I want like I always believed that I had to be like older in order to be more respected or to have more like um stability or yeah but I think it was just I just couldn't stop thinking about wanting to be a writer and there was a lot of fear involved with that like I remember a lot of like people are gonna be like who, do you, who the hell do you think you are like or what would my parents think and and all of those like like uncomfortable feelings and feeling judged by other people. But I also decided like I knew that it would break my heart if I never, ever tried. Um, So I did. You mentioned a couple of times just this dark, rough time when you were younger and and what helped you get through it. Can you talk a little bit more about that if you're open to talking more about that? Yeah. So like uh, as a bit of background, I had a lot of head trash when I was younger. So I struggled a lot with like feelings of inadequacy and self-worth, like as you do when you're like a teenager um, and as like a young adult when you're just like finding yourself in the world. And I'm a very, very big feelings person, but the way that that manifests is sometimes is shame, which is a big thing for me. So always internalizing like, oh my God, like I'm not good enough or I'm not enough. And we all, we all, deal with those thoughts but sometimes when you don't know how to deal with those things in a healthy way it can start to become quite dark like you really do start to believe that you are not worthy and you don't belong like in this world and things like that and I think around like my second and third year of uni I was starting to feel again like I didn't have a place in the world and I think there, like I went through some really big friendship breakups which was really tough and it ultimately culminated in like I don't belong here so there was a a bit of time when I got quite like depressed um and I was I was even like on the verge of like of like suicide but thankfully I was saved by you know reading other people's experiences and realizing that like I wasn't alone in all of the inadequacy that I felt and also namely remembering that I am worthy as I am and that I am enough and that I have impact that runs far deeper than I know. And so realizing that helped, you know, like saved me. And now like I'm in a strong enough place where I want to be that light or like be that message of encouragement or hope to somebody else. Um, So yeah, uh, I love that. And I, I wonder, you know, if we can maybe just go a little bit farther with that, you know, because I think so many people deal with the feelings of inadequacy. Maybe it's uh, not always not belonging, but that, you know, the work isn't good enough or I'll never make this happen. And as that, 
as those kinds of feelings have have come up for you, Ash, over the last few years, like what is the coping strategy? Like what do you do? What do you tell yourself in order to get through those moments of doubt so that you can show up and and be the light and and uh, sort of this example of you know what to do in those kinds of cases? Yeah, it's really funny because like we it's so funny because we all have these thoughts and then it's I used to deal with that and so I decided oh hey why don't I become a copywriter where my job is literally to be like scrutinized and sometimes like you know it's up to the client to decide whether or not like my work is good enough and things like that um and so I think as well in this in this business in this entrepreneurship thing and this copywriting thing we, we're all gonna experience that and what's helped me is knowing that first of all like I am worthy like no matter what like no matter whether a client likes me whether a peer likes me whether or not I get um whether or not someone says yes to my quote whether or not someone says yes to my podcast page it doesn't matter like I'm still worthy but sometimes you don't remember that in the moment so what I've done to cope is surround myself with a lot of safe people who understand what it's like to go through that so for example talking to other copywriters talking to you guys um talking to yeah, people who have been through that exact situation before and can be like, yeah, like you're not alone in that. Like I've also been rejected and it also really sucked. Or I've also had a really bad experience with a client, um, you know, because I think that when we go through dark things, the immediate reaction is to be like, you are alone in this. And that shame, like that's what really drives people over the edge. It's like, like shame works to isolate you. Both shame and fear will do that. And that makes you feel even worse. But when you talk to safe people who are like, yeah, don't worry. Like you're literally not alone. Like I've been there. I get it. Then you feel like you are not, you're not the only one. Like it's not just you that the world is out to get. And so that gives, you know, that gives you a little bit of light. Like that gives you a little bit of strength to move forward. And then um, big emphasis on the word safe because you have to be able to talk to people who know how to comfort you. So for example, I need a lot of validation first. Like I need to feel validated and that people, whoever I'm talking to understands what I'm feeling before I can like actually take action. If you try to solve my problem straight away, it's just gonna make me feel worse. So for example, sometimes I talk to my partner and bless him, but like as a male, I think like his his immediate way of adding value is by trying to solve my problems when all I want him to do is just listen to me and comfort me Um, and sometimes like that like that means we end up clashing so now I know that well now he knows as well that when I'm confiding in him about a distressing situation I would like for him to yeah like listen and validate and things like that and that gives me the strength to then move forward from that. So pretty much you need to talk to people who have gone through what you've been going, like what you've just experienced and also know how to respond in a way that gives you the strength to move forward. So that's been my biggest, my biggest, yes, support and coping mechanism. I can relate to that all too well (laughs) in my relationship too, where it's like, I have this problem. I just want to share it. I just want you to listen and hear me. I don't want you to solve my problem right now. Um, so Ash, how do you, how do you weave this into your client projects? And when you work with clients, because you know what works best for you, you know, um, how to communicate and how you want to be communicated too. but, um, clients don't always know that. And we jump into these projects and things get bumpy along the way. 
how do you set up your projects and client relationships so that you you feel safe as the copywriter and then you help your client feel safe as well? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think like going through all of this stuff and understanding my feelings and being really self-aware about that means that I'm able to really support my clients in their own business. Like I understand intimately what it's like to feel all of that fear before they like launch their digital product. Or like back then it used to be when they launched their website. Now it's like when they launch a digital product, it's like there's a lot of emotions tied around that, right? There's even a lot of emotions whenever you write your own copy because you feel a lot of like perfectionism, but then there's also that fear of like, oh oh my God, like other people are reading this. They're going to judge me. Like we immediately think about that like mean girl from high school or um, that person who said like we would never amount to much. And that all of that, halts our creativity so pretty much this all of these past experiences have given me the ability to write a lot of empathy driven copy and I think it really helps me attract the right sort of clients like clients who who don't mind talking about their feelings or who don't mind putting their feelings front and center and who believe in more who believe in creating more um, impact and leaving the world a better place than they find than they found it rather than just purely like let's talk about the money Uh, and then in terms of like how I make sure that I'm safe when I interact with clients boundaries has been a huge lesson for me to learn because as someone who struggles with self-worth and people pleasing at first like I didn't think boundaries were important it was like oh my god someone likes me someone wants to someone wants to pay me like let me paint all of these red flags green so that I can keep working with them because they're making me feel so because they like my work, I feel so like worthy and quote unquote love, da da da. But that that leads to very, very health unhealthy client relationships. So I've had to really, again, separate my self-worth from what the client thinks about me and also really, really put strong boundaries in place. So I used to give clients my phone number so that they could contact me whenever they wanted. And I was like, oh, like it's just because I want to be that listening ear or that like supportive person. But more often than not, the client would always low-key abuse it and it was also my fault as well because I was letting them call me at all times of the night but now I'm like okay no one gets my number it's email or Voxer only Um, I've learned how to teach people how to treat me so for example if I say like I don't want to be emailed at night then I better not be emailing them back at night Um, little things like that so to answer your questions just boundaries are the best thing you can do for your sanity. Ash when you're talking about you're writing empathetic copy, you know, it got me thinking, do you think it's possible to write with empathy without having to go through, you know, hard things and, you know, all of the negatives in the human experience? Obviously that helps us to relate to other people that are going through it, but are there ways that we can make ourselves more empathetic without going through the same things that the people we're writing for are going through? Yes, 100%, because I think like that's what we as copywriters do, right? Like we, our job is to step into our client's audience's shoes and understand what they're thinking, feeling, and believing. And the way we can do that without having to go through that exact situation is through um, research or like voice of customer research. So for example, I had a client earlier this year, she was a sleep nanny and her audience um, are obviously moms of like newborn kids. And I I do not have a kid, so I don't understand intimately the struggle of what it's like to train your baby. Like I had no idea 
um, all of the challenges moms had to go through just to get their baby to sleep. Because like, I'm like, I'm like 25, like kids are not in my immediate future. But the way I was able to still write for her and do it well, and in a way that resonated with her audience was through research. So I combed a lot of like, Reddit forums, um, Facebook groups, Facebook comments, things like that. And from there, I learned like, just how much pain or just how much of a struggle it was for these new moms to get their babies to sleep I learned that you know they said like oh I feel like I'm going crazy it's like I it takes like half an hour to get the baby to sleep and then I put the baby down and then the baby wakes up again in five minutes and then I have to go through this whole cycle again and I could really feel the the pain in their voice and as a result of that research I was able to create that compelling copy So to answer your question, I don't think we necessarily have to go through that exact scenario or that exact situation to still be able to write really great copy with feeling, with empathy and in a way that resonates. You just got to, it's just the right, having the right research method and being able to listen properly to the audience. So Ash, let's fast forward to where you are today. Can you just give us a snapshot of where, what your business looks like today and and then let's back up and talk about how you got there because I know you pivoted several times. Can you talk about those pivots and how you thought through each pivot to get to where you are today? Yeah, yeah. Like my business has evolved like since that first client. So I, she taught me how to write um, content. So I started off as a content writer, did a lot of blog posts, did a lot of show notes. And then I I actually joined the Accelerator this time last year. So it was like August, September. And that was when I got my first actual copy project. So it was website copy and I I really enjoyed it. And it was great because I just kept getting a lot of website copy clients. So I was like, okay, this is going to be my niche. You know, I'm just going to write a website copy for whoever needs it, whether it's a service provider or e-commerce person, like that's that. But then towards the end, I realized like I wanted to niche down a little bit further. So I was like, hmm, like maybe I'll just focus it to service providers and freelancers but then it wasn't until the start of this year that I decided to move completely into launch strategy and copy um, and that's where I am now so I'm now officially a launch strategist and conversion copywriter for online entrepreneurs who want to sell their digital products on repeat and leave the world a better place than they found it Um, and the reason I think like it was the reason I pivoted so much, I think it was about like luck. It was like, it was just whatever client was coming to me was like, that was the project I took on. And back then it just so happened to be websites. But then this pivot into launch strategy and copy happened because like, I really, really fell in love with, with what needs to go into a launch. Like I'm talking like heart racing, palm sweating, butterflies fluttering in my tummy kind of love with launch copy and then that's when I knew knew like this is this is the niche like I want to plant my flag in and I think it's something I'm going to continue doing for the foreseeable slash long-term future. So I know you focus on launch copy you can do launches start to finish but you've even focused recently deeper on all of the pre-launch stuff will you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So again, this wasn't this wasn't planned. It wasn't like, um, yeah, it wasn't planned. But basically, what happened was when I was working on my first end to end launch strategy project, I realized that the pre launch stuff was very very like underserved. So I, 
with launch strategy, we obviously spend a lot of time doing voice of customer research. And as I was reading through um, all of the audience's survey responses, the one thing that kept going through my mind was like, I don't think this audience is ready to buy. And what I mean by that is that I could tell a large part of them were carrying all of these like hesitations and beliefs and objections towards the towards the digital product so towards the um, topic of YouTube like they didn't understand why they should invest in that area or they didn't really understand like they really doubted their own ability to achieve um, to create their own YouTube channel and I was like I remember thinking like oh my god like I don't think they're ready to buy because they they have all of these doubts and hesitations and if we were to just launch the YouTube course tomorrow they would immediately talk themselves out of it and so that's when I realized like hey, like we actually need to create a lot of content in the lead up to the launch. Otherwise, like we're going to lose um, a majority of our audience to these beliefs. Like they're just going to talk themselves out of it. And so that's when I realized like pre-launch is actually a very, very important area of the launch. Like even though there's a lot of content out there around like how to write a really good sales page and how to write a really good email sequence, there wasn't so much about what do you actually do in the lead up to the launch. Um, And as a result, people were just opening their cart and that was it. Like that was the only, that was the only marketing they were doing was just during the open cart period. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what we have done with several of our launches. We would just open the cart one day out of nowhere and be like, hey, come buy it. It's here. So, uh, and Ash, you've helped us. We've worked with you. You've provided strategy and guidance for our accelerator launch to help with pre-launch content. So can you just kind of break it down for us and talk about how we can approach our pre-launch content, what we should think about, what we should do? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think first it starts off by, you have to recognize that your audience, they aren't automatically ready to buy your digital product just because they're ready to sell. So like I said before, a lot of your audience are carrying a deeply rooted beliefs and objections that are either like deterring them from understanding why they need your product or it's really doubting making them doubt like their own ability to achieve the transformation that they want and if you don't really understand what I mean by beliefs what I mean by that are like the thoughts and they and the feelings that your audience hold about themselves and the world around them. So for example, if you were to sell a TikTok course, but your audience believe that TikTok is only for dancing teenagers, then they're probably not going to be ready to buy your digital product. So as a result, what you need to do is create pre-launch content that is going to get your audience to be in the right state of mind that they need to be in, in order to invest in your digital product. And by right state of mind, what I mean is that they're at this place where they want to learn more about the topic of your digital product. They understand why they need a digital product like yours and they understand like why they should get your digital product and not anyone else's. So basically when you're creating pre-launch content, you need to help your audience understand like all of these things before they get there. And in order to do that, I created what I call the power framework. Um, And the power framework is basically what helps you understand how to create a pre-launch strategy and how to create what topics to talk about that's going to intentionally nurture your audience 
to this point. Um, so. Yeah, let's step through that framework. Let's uh, go step by step. Yeah, so to power up your pre-launch, you need to prime your audience, overcome any objections, walk through the why behind your offer, establish your authority and expertise, and reshift your audience's beliefs. So I can break that down even further. So when it comes to priming your audience, what that essentially means is talking about the topic of your digital product on repeat. So you really need to keep the topic top of mind for your audience. Um, So for example, like if you want to launch a beginner's course on watercoloring, then 90% of your pre-launch content needs to talk about watercoloring. Like this is especially important, for example, if you are a business owner who sells multiple digital products on completely different topics. So for example, I know you guys, you have multiple offers. You have like the underground, think tank, the accelerator. Um, And even though they're all sort of related, like They're technically solving different challenges. So if you were to live launch um, different ones, you'd need to spend your pre-launch specifically talking about the specific challenges for that offer. Um, As another example, like one of my clients has a YouTube course and a course about building habits. So if we were launching the YouTube course, we would need to spend all our time in the pre-launch talking about YouTube so that the audience would be in the right state of mind to buy that digital product. And if we go even deeper, when it comes to priming your audience, you need to make them aware of like their desires, the challenges, and the solution as it relates to the topic. So for example, you'd want to rekindle like or remind the audience about the benefits or the value of your topic so they will want to learn more about it. So my like my friend Kristen, she recently launched her VIP offer creation kit to teach people how to create their own VIP intensives. So to prime her audience, maybe one of her pre-launch content could be about how like thanks to VIP intensives, she has more white space on their calendar. She's able to hit her revenue goals and she only spends two to three days out of the week writing. And now these are the same desires that her audience has, right? So by connecting it to the VIP intensive and saying she was able to achieve all of these things because of that, then her audience are going to be primed to be like, oh, like clearly VIP intensives are the solution. Like VIP intensives are the way I'm going to achieve all of these things. Like I want to learn more about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that completely makes sense. I am just wondering how much is too much? And, you know, time-wise, how early could you start? Is there such thing as too early or too late? How much content should you include in that pre-launch? Yeah, so the length of the pre-launch runway is a very, very hot topic. And I think I think there's no right answer because it's very nuanced. And the factors that affect it are things like your audience's state of mind and their level of awareness. So if If your audience is completely unfamiliar with the topic of your digital product, you may need to create a lot more content to prime and educate them and overcome their objections. Compared to like if your audience is really familiar with the topic of your digital product because it's super saturated, then you might need less content. Another factor to think about as well, if you wanted is if you wanted to run a specific pre-launch event, like maybe a free challenge or um, some sort of like email 
email series or like a video series or things like that. So you're going to need to spend more time creating content and priming your audience for that free challenge or free video series um, and then spend time hosting it before you launch. And then a really important factor as well is your energy levels because like there's so many things you have to think about for the launch and that's why people skip the pre-launch is because like they're busy enough with all of the assets for the launch period that the pre-launch is just like secondary or it falls off the to-do list. So you have to think about like, okay, how much capacity do I have to create pre-launch content? Sometimes that might be like, I only have capacity for just seven days, or you may have more space and energy for two weeks or 30 days. For me, when I'm doing it for a client, I advocate for 30 days of intentional pre-launch content. And that means like, When I say intentional pre-launch content, it means that you're talking solely about the topic of your digital product. Like in that time, you're priming your audience, you're overcoming your objections, you're establishing your authority, all of that. So 30 days is the way to go. Okay, let's jump in here. Rob, what really resonated with you from this first part of our conversation? So there's a lot of things that, you know, as I went back and I re-listened to this episode that stood out. Uh, and I think number one uh, is, is probably the thing that we focused on at this entire episode. So I'm going to go to the very end of my list of notes, but the pre-launch strategy that Ash laid out uh, and her framework for how to power up your pre-launch. She uses the word power to talk about priming your audience. That is um, making sure that, you know, they understand what you're about to launch, reminding them of the benefits, make, you know, future pacing so that they understand the solution that they need to get, overcoming the audience's objections, because of course we all have objections when there are opportunities to spend money, you know, maybe uh, expense is one, time is another. There's, there's literally a dozen of these. What The why behind the offer, why somebody should be interested in, and why you're offering that in the first place creating your authority, establishing your authority. And we'll talk later uh, with Ash in this episode about how she's done that. And then shifting or reshifting your audience's beliefs and the chain of belief that most of our customers have to go through from you know where they are right now to where they need to be in order to buy. And Ash does this really well with the pre-launch content that she creates. And I just think it's definitely worth emphasizing that Uh, framework and structure. Yeah. And the cool thing is you can use this pre-launch strategy for your own offers when you um, launch your own services or products. And you can also use it for client work, If especially if you work in a launch space. Um, You can offer a new service to your clients or maybe even add pre-launch content to the mix in one of your packages. I mean, when I've worked on a lot of launches as a copywriter and I don't think I ever focused on pre-launch and that was definitely a missed opportunity for me to show up as a consultant and advise my clients and give them some guidance and possibly even write that content for them and get paid more for those projects. But it just, I didn't have that level of awareness and understand that need in the market. So I think we can use this episode with Ash not only to um, improve our own offers, but to use it when we do launch something in our own businesses. Yeah, totally agree. Every time I've thought about launching as well, it's it starts with okay, launch day is today, or you know the webinar maybe is the day before the launch, right? But 
thinking through the three to four weeks before and how do you start getting the people that you want thinking about your offer to do that, to start thinking. And I think Ash's approach is, is excellent and something that more launch copywriters, maybe anybody who's selling a product really needs to start uh, thinking about. And we talked about this in the interview with Ash, but you know we've experienced this with our own launches, specifically for the accelerator program. I mean, we've we've done it incorrectly so many times where we do show up on launch day, cart open day, basically, and we're like, "Here we are, we're your solution," but we haven't primed everyone. We haven't really educated and laid the groundwork and prepared um, the right people for the launch of this solution to their problem. And so as soon as we started to work with Ash and really dedicate more time to thinking through pre-launch content and strategy, we've, you know, we've experienced uh, the financial, you know, financial boost just from that. So we know it works firsthand. And again, I think this is a great way to blow, you know, to really help your clients get incredible results so that you can capture those testimonials and get a win all around just by adding this to your services. Agreed. Yeah. It can be a a big game changer for somebody who's launching. What else stood out to you, Kira, from uh, our discussion? Well, I mean, I, so many things, especially from the, the early part of the conversation where we talked a lot about Ash's story and, you know, her, I love how Ash feels her way into decisions and her path and, you know, she, the fact that she was already in her third year um, be, in law school and on this really set path that is a huge financial investment, um, and she decided to opt out. And she she finished it and graduated, but the fact that she decided to take the less traveled path, um, you know, the less prestigious path, as a lot of people would probably say, and opt into writing instead. And I, I love that she said, you know, I knew that if it would break my heart if I never tried to be a writer. And so she went with her gut and just felt her way through it and made this huge decision that a lot of people don't always understand. And she went for it anyway. And I also thought it was cool that she mentioned, she talked a lot about impact. And, you know, when I think of attorneys, you know, they're, we think they have a lot of impact because they do. And there's so many great ones out there who can have incredible impact and but Ash also saw the opportunity that she could have as a writer and creating a platform and actually helping and, and touching more people. And so I think it's just a good reminder for all of us that as writers, we we can do so much with the gifts that we have. And we don't necessarily have to follow those traditional paths to have that type of impact. And Ash got it right away and and made that decision for herself. Yeah, I came so close to going to law school. I took the LSAT. I was applying to law schools. And I wish that I could say that I felt a call to copywriting or something else. Uh, what I felt, you know, was stifling the, the, whatever that, you know, oppression of law school and the boredom that, you know, I was taking some other classes as part of a master's of public administration. I just like realized it wasn't for me. So I can relate a little bit to what Ash was going through and some of the other attorneys that we've talked to on the podcast, but feeling a call to something different where you can, you know, make a difference. If, even if it's just make a difference for your family, almost always worth following that impression and that gut feel. So for you, was it more of a feeling of just, this is not what I want to do. This is clear. Like, this is not for me, but you didn't necessarily know what would replace it. Yep. 
Yep, that's exactly right. Like as I started taking classes that were related to law, I just realized that this is not how I wanted to spend the next three years of my life, studying, learning, doing that. It, it just it felt wrong. Uh, I actually think I would have been a pretty good attorney. I just didn't want to do the work that it would take to become an attorney. So uh, I found something else to do. And my my career path was a little bit more serendipitous. Uh, you know, I just kind of followed along. I wish that I had it planned out or that I knew exactly where I was going to be like Ash seems to, but it's uh, all worked out, all worked out for me. And I think it appears to be working out for Ash very well. Yeah. And um, I really like that Ash talked about surrounding yourself with safe people. And, you know, I hadn't heard anyone talk about it that way in terms of safety. And so I think that's really important. And again, Ash knows herself well. She knows she's a feelings person. She has big feelings and emotions. That is part of her gift that she brings to the table as a writer, um, her ability to empathize. And so when you know that that is your gift, you also have to be very careful with it and um, create boundaries and protect yourself. And so uh, I like her approach to creating almost this you know, crew of people who can support her when she she needs that support and she knows who to go to and how to lift herself back up and almost you know what to prepare herself for especially working in a space as a copywriter where we set ourselves up for criticism because that's part of the job that's how we revise the copy and so to be in this space where we are critiqued frequently um it's important to know how you're going to react and what you need in order to kind of stay stay sane and stay healthy and continue to grow in this this business. Yeah, when Ash was talking about the support that she gets and you know the difference between support and validation and then trying to solve the problem, it made me laugh. I you related to that as well. You're like, "Oh yeah, that's that's my husband and me." Uh, and it's, it's me and the women in my life too. I know we're generalizing a little bit here, but it reminded me of a short um, called It's Not About the Nail, which, you know, Google it. It's hilarious, but it goes along with that whole idea that uh, at least most men want to fix problems and most women want to be supported and listened to. And it's, it's quite hilarious. Um, but yeah, I just kind of... It's yeah, it's one of those things, right? And and we approach problems and support differently. And you, you just got to find the people that can support you in the way that you need to be supported. Yeah, it's it's hard not to want to fix things. I mean, I think for me, when I, uh, anyone is telling me about a problem, I automatically want to fix it. And especially if this is our profession, we are problem solvers. That's what we get paid to do as copywriters. And so even as I speak to friends or family members, it's really hard for me not to want to fix it. And most of the time I do. But um, just, yeah, even talking to Ash about this, it's just a reminder that not everybody wants their problem fixed. And so just even asking that question, <laughs> which I often forget to ask, and my husband also forgets to ask it, but, you know, do you just want me to listen or do you want me to offer some solutions? And oftentimes people don't want the solution. They just want someone to listen. Yeah. Or they want both, right? They want to be listened to before you listen get to first. the solution, right? And and the way you figure out if the approach is right is through the research and, um, you know, how you become more empathetic. And what Ash was sharing about that is, you know, you really need to do your research so that you understand exactly what people are feeling, what they're going through, what they need to hear in order to be ready for a solution. Yeah. And I mean, in, in general, I feel like we have a listening crisis in the the world, at least the part of the world that I live in. And so I think when in doubt, just 
listen because we don't listen to each other enough. I agree 100%. Okay. So uh, Ash also talked about painting red flags green. And I really liked um, in the way she put that because I, I, I've done it. And we work with a lot of copywriters in the think tank and the accelerator and all the programs. And we've seen this firsthand. And I don't, you know, of course we don't realize we're doing it, but it's really easy for us to overlook a lot of those red flags. Uh, Or maybe the flag isn't quite red. It's like orange and we can just talk our way out of it. And then we get into the project and we realize those were all red flags. And so, um, I think it's just something that takes practice. I don't know. I mean, Rob, maybe you have a better solution for it, but it is something that um, happens frequently. I think it happens frequently with people you wouldn't expect it to happen to. So I'm saying that just so that we can all cut ourselves some slack when it does happen and not beat ourselves up too much. Even if you've been at it for a while, it still can happen. And um, it's, it's a normal part of this business that we're in. Yeah, I think that phrase painting red flags green is really interesting because at least here in the States, money is green. And that's the the biggest thing that gets in the way of actually seeing red flags. Yeah, It's like, oh yeah, I can see something that I don't necessarily want to do, or I can see a client that I maybe don't necessarily love working with, but the money is so good or the opportunity is so good that I'm willing to overlook those. Uh, at the beginning of a project, as the project goes on, that's when we start to regret it. Think, oh my gosh, I should not have, you know, I should have seen the red flag, but I let the green get in the way. So I think that's a really good way of talking about what happens when those red flags are there. And trusting your gut, going back to how we started the conversation with Ash about her listening to her gut when she knew that pursuing a path as an attorney was not the right path for her. Um, she is someone who's definitely in tune with it, her intuition. And so whether or not everyone has varying degrees of how in tune you are, but oftentimes we do know, like we we know, we, we feel it in our bodies when the client is not going to be a great client. And so I think just practicing it and trying to listen more, um, we, we typically know right away. Yeah. And that goes right along with what Ash was sharing about boundaries. And I know we've talked about boundaries in the past in the podcast, but you really do need to train your clients with how to communicate, you've got to lead by example. And as Ash pointed out, you know, if you don't want clients to text you at night, you can't text them at night, you know, if, or, or email, if you don't want them to text, you can't give them your phone number, you know, you have to set those boundaries and then stick to it. And while it feels like that's the kind of thing that clients will object to, the, the better relationship that you get out of the client makes it for a better experience. And you're not really taking anything away from them. You're helping them to succeed in working with you. So it's a really important thing to establish. And I was, I'm, I'm glad she brought that up as part of what she does. Yeah. And it's easy to think that you have boundaries, but then when you look at how you're operating in your business and how you're communicating with your clients, you may realize that you're not actually exhibiting those boundaries and putting them into action because it's really easy to email clients at 10 p.m. or even at like 5 a.m. or over the weekend because that's when you work. And I know the best part about running our own business is that we have that flexibility and that freedom to work whenever we want. And sometimes, you know, working over the weekend is great because you took off two days during the week. But I think it's still like we're still in the the typical work paradigm where we work nine to five. And so I think for me, I do try to keep communication with clients in that time frame for me because I don't want them to think it's acceptable to send messages to me over the weekend um, or late at night or early morning. And so it's kind of 
strange because we can work whenever we want. And that's what's so great about what we do. But also we don't want to open that door to our clients. And so in some ways I default back to like my traditional corporate background of nine to five as far as communication and what's acceptable. So I just try to pay attention to how I'm communicating because I, as soon as I do it, I'm basically telling my clients like, this is how you can communicate with me. And this is what I'm accepting from you as well. Yeah. And I I think a big part of that is just our approach to it, right? Because it's fine if clients email me at 10 o'clock at night, but I'm not going to open the email uh, and I'm not going to respond to the email, right? Like if that's when they're working and that works for them, that's great. But that doesn't change when I work. And uh, I won't even open it because who knows if they've got an email tracker. Like I don't want them to see that I'm opening an email at 10 o'clock at night. Or, Everybody's or so tricky but, with their trackers now. Exactly. But but again, you know, the people, different people will work in different times at, at different places and you can set the boundaries so that it works for you. Let's get back into the episode to learn more about pre-launch strategy and what not to do with your pre-launch content. So Ash, I'm listening to you talk about this. I know you focus on courses and coaches um, who are launching something, you know, maybe two or three times a year, but is this transferable to something that's evergreen? You know, if I've got something that I'm not necessarily announcing a launch for this week, but it's for sale most of the time or all of the time, can I still apply that framework to promoting that product? Yeah, 100%. So even though I talk a lot about like, um, open cart period and things like that, you still need to educate and prime your audience for your evergreen product because they're still going to have objections and beliefs that need to be reshifted and like questions that need to be answered. So um, for example, one of my clients is going to sell, make her natural dyeing course evergreen. And natural dyeing is this really fun activity where you you basically tie dye um, fabrics into a different color using things like leaves and plants and flowers and the thing is like even though her course is available all of the time like we still need to we still need to address her audience's objections towards that topic which is things like oh I'm too, like, I need a lot of space in order to tie dye my fabrics. So we would need to create content that shows people that you can actually start, you don't need a lot of space to do it. Like you can literally just do it on your kitchen bench or in a tiny garage and things like that. So yeah, to answer your question, the framework can be applied even for Evergreen because it's all about getting your audience to this right state of mind where they see the value of your digital product and they understand why they need it in their lives. Maybe we can dig into what we should not do. You know, you've touched on it a little bit, but anything that we should be aware of that could interfere with our pre-launch content and make it less successful. I think where people go wrong with their pre-launch content is they, they skip it completely. So they don't prime their audience in the lead up or they don't, um, they don't talk at all about their digital product. They, they just write or they create any random content about like maybe like their personal life or about um, their other services or things like that only to then randomly drop their digital product. It's kind of like a bit of, you're kind of blindsiding your audience when you're doing that. And what that means is then they don't understand why they need it. And so they don't end up buying until a lot later in the launch or not at all. I think another mistake people make when it comes to their pre-launch is not having an actual strategy. So usually when I talk to people 
and they and they say like oh yeah we do have a pre-launch strategy like we're just going to you know create a lot of content that adds value but then they struggle to define what they mean by adding value you know I think that phrase is like used quite a lot in the marketing world Um, and it's a really good phrase but the struggle the problem is when you you can't articulate what that means because add value has a lot of different meanings in different contexts so you could share like a funny story or you could share like an encouraging message or you could share something really polarizing and all three of those things are adding value to your audience in some way right but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what your audience needs to hear in order to see the value of your digital product and why they should spend money on it like just because people find you funny doesn't necessarily mean they're automatically going to spend a thousand dollars on your course or your membership or whatever it is so I would say like those are the two main ways people go wrong like they skip the pre-launch content or they approach it with with no strategy and so they end up wasting time creating content that doesn't actually move their audience closer to the point where they're ready to buy so you actually helped us work out a pre-launch strategy for our accelerator program, which we used when we launched this past fall. Do you want to talk a little bit about that uh, specifically so we can see how this is applied in a true-to-life product and maybe even some of the impact that it had on our launch? Yeah, yeah. So that was a really fun project to work on considering I was um, an alumni of that. So I really did understand the your ideal audience's like thoughts and beliefs. So pretty much when it came to your to your um, pre-launch strategy, when it came to priming them, it's helping them understand like that your audience are not where they want to be yet. So for example, before I was talking a lot about how you want to rekindle your audience's desires and help them see the value of the topic. So for the accelerator, which is targeted to newish copywriters, a lot of your pre-launch content could be talking about like the benefits of running your business like a legit business. So you could say things like when you when you approach it with like a CEO mindset or when you run your business properly, it will lead to um, consistent revenue, dream clients, a full pipeline, um, more white space on the calendar, more freedom. So like those are all of the things that your audiences that your audience desires. So when you talk about that in the pre-launch and you're connecting how when you run a business properly, you get all of these cool things, then your audience by the end of that will be like, oh, like I want all of those things. So I guess I better start taking my business seriously. And then from there, what you want to do is help them see that, okay, we you have all of these desires, but you're clearly not there yet. So a big part of the pre-launch is also helping your audience identify what's missing or like the challenge that they're facing because you clearly created the, the product to solve their problems, right? So you need to remind them of those problems. So for the accelerator, that could be like the reason you don't have a legit business yet is because you don't know how to do that. Like you don't know how to get your business off the ground. Like you don't know what to focus on or how to properly package up your service or how to get clients. So in the pre-launch, it's really sort of like agitating a little bit and diving deeper into this gap in their knowledge. Um, And what that does is by the end of that post or that email, they're like, yeah, like, oh my God, like I don't know how to package up my services profitably or how to get clients. And what this does is it then primes them to try and seek out the solution, which in your case, then another post or an email might be 
telling them what the solution is, but not exactly how to solve it. So it could be like, hey, like in order to figure out how to package up your service and get um, perfect dream fit clients and how to run like a proper business, you need the right structure. Like you need the right blueprint that's going to tell you how to get your business or how to create a business from A to Z, da, da, da. And then from there, the audience are like, oh, yeah, now I know like that's what I need. They've now perfectly primed to be at a place that when you open the doors to the accelerator, they're like, oh, like, yes, this is exactly what I need. This gives me the community. This gives me the structure. This gives me the guidance. Um, so do you see how that sort of unfolds just in that priming element? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then um, another big thing as well was like, as part of the power framework it's also about overcoming a lot of the objections that your audience has towards the topic of your digital product so in this case it's we had to overcome their objections towards the idea of running a business properly and I think for newish copyright newish copywriters one of those objections might be like well if I'm a good copywriter like that's all I need to succeed in business I just need to know how to write but as we all know like it's not enough to just be talented at copywriting like you need to know how to market yourself like you need to know how to create profitable offers and you need to know how to be visible so then what we would have to do is create pre-launch content that defeats that misconception so we could write an email or a post being like um literally saying like you need more than just good copy chops in order to succeed in business like you need all of these other things and then by the end of that post the audience would be like oh crap, like I guess I do need to invest in business building skills. And then that again primes them to be in that perfect position to want to invest in the accelerator when it comes out. Let's go behind the scenes of your business as we've talked a lot about pre-launch and you mentioned that this is um, a new niche for you over the last year. So how have you built your expertise? I mean, beyond doing podcast interviews like this where you're teaching and talking about pre-launch content, what else has helped you really kind of step into your own expertise as the go-to expert for pre-launch content and just as a launch strategist? Yeah, so I think like one of the biggest things that moved the needle in my business, like when it came to building my brand, my authority was actually like running and hosting my own workshop just a couple of months ago in November 2021. So the behind the scenes of this is like I personally want to start speaking on more stages and teaching inside more workshops just because I really do enjoy presenting and it is a great way to build authority um, and anyway like this year I started looking into a lot more speaking opportunities and what I found with that was that most creators and organizers typically want proof that you can speak so I remember like I was talking to this pretty big creator about doing a workshop for um, their paid audience. Um, and they asked me if I had any experience coaching or presenting live. I mean, I found that that was a pretty common thing whenever I was like applying for speaking gigs or like appearing or trying to appear in different summits. And it makes sense because like the organizers want to know that you can speak well and that you can, you know, engage the audience and that sort of thing. And so I realized that if I wanted this to if I wanted this goal to become a reality, like I can't always just wait for someone to grant me a speaking opportunity. Like I have to go and create this opportunity myself. And rather than just pitch people and wait to be accepted or rejected, I decided like I'm just going to take it matters into my own hands and just host my own workshop, 
on my own platform to practice my speaking skills. Um, So I pretty much said like, okay, I'm going to run a workshop purely on pre-launch because I wanted to be known in this area. I set a date and then I just hustled to bring it to life. Um, And it was like an incredibly rewarding and challenging experience just because there's a lot I realize there's a lot that goes into launching anything of your own even if it's free like a free thing takes just as much work as a paid thing but um, as a result of running my own workshop I like you know it really helped me generate a lot of leads so it was a great way to build my email list I gained about like I think 170 new subscribers as a result of that. Um, it also really challenged me to start talking a lot more about pre-launch content in order to promote the workshop, which also built my authority. Like because I was talking about it so much on Instagram, uh, people started associating me with pre-launch content, which is what I wanted. You know, I started to get lots of DMs about it. People started mentioning me more in Facebook threads and saying like, hey, like you should talk to Ash Chow for pre-launch. So that was pretty cool. Um, And then even like after the back end of running the workshop, like after that was all over, people um, watched it and they were like, hey, like, can you can you come speak on my podcast? Like, can you come speak at my summit? So I started getting a lot of invitations as a result of that. And so because I took that step forward and decided to just do it on my own platform and on my own um, space, people people just naturally saw me or now they now see me as an authority in this area. So if you want to build I reckon, visibility and build authority and do it relatively quickly, I highly recommend doing your own workshop and not waiting for someone to give you the opportunity to speak, like just do it yourself. Yeah, I I saw your workshop and I remember texting Kira at the end and saying, holy cow, Ash is a great presenter and the information that you shared about pre-launch content. Obviously we had gone through that process with you, but uh, I I was really impressed. And so I think that Kira and I are now gonna ask a question we've never asked on the podcast before. Ash, can you speak at TCC IRL on our stage this year? Are you being serious? Oh my goodness, are you being serious? Yeah, totally serious. <laughs> Wait, it's recorded now. You can't backtrack. <laughs> oh yes, I'd love to accept. Yes, oh my goodness, yes. We figured we'd ask you while we're recording so you can't say no. That's right. I mean, you could, no time to think about it's it. harder. Yeah, no time to think about it. You have to do it now. Um, we'd be honored to have you speak on our stage and teach about pre-launch and launches and share your wisdom with everyone in the community. Uh, thanks, guys. And if for anyone listening, see, this is why <laughs> you, this it is works. why you run your own workshop. This is why you you don't wait for someone to hand you things. You got to go out there and do it first, and then the opportunities come. So yeah, it's proof right here. There you go. <laughs> So, you know, as we're thinking about that workshop, because we were there as you were really starting to brainstorm this and thinking about, you know, should you do it? Should you do it now? Should you do it next year? Like, will you talk a little bit about what was going on in your mind uh, leading up to that decision? Yes, I'm going to do it because I seem to remember there was some real hesitation, some real back and forth. Around running the workshop and that's Yeah, and presenting it. Yes. Uh, Actually doing it, right? Yeah, it was really scary. And I think a lot of that head trash I talked about at the start of the podcast, it all came roaring back, which by the way, when we talk about head trash, something I learned in my experience is that even though it keeps coming up, it's always the same thing. Like fear is always the same emotion. It's not, fear can be very, very un 
imaginative and I think that's that really helps take the power away from it like it's just the same thing over and over again and when you learn how to deal with it once you'll know how to deal with it in the future but back to it is I had all that fear again about like people aren't going to show up for me um people are going to judge me I'm going to sound like crap my biggest fear I think was like no one's showing up I was like it's just going to be me in a zoom room by myself but I think I was, you know, I've been working a lot with a mindset coach, Linda Perry, and she helped me recognize that when you when you do something for the first time or when you're go, putting yourself out there, the victory is in putting yourself out there. It's in like taking the action. So it's not about like how many people show up or if anyone shows up. It's about the fact that you actually did it in the first place. So I think, like I said, I could I could have just sat on my ass and just waited for someone to give me an opportunity and say hey can you come speak or I could actually do something about it and make that make that opportunity happen which is what I did I mean it was still scary to actually do it like literally it's funny that you say you liked my presentation because five minutes beforehand I was like throwing up because I was so nervous but I pushed through and and I did it and so for anyone who's thinking about doing it like try not to think about the numbers try not to think about Oh, whether or not people are going to show up and focus more on just just ticking that task off like just doing it and celebrating that action in, in itself and ash as we start to wrap up this conversation uh, i would love this is more of a selfish question but can you share what your experience was like in both the accelerator and the think tank since you've had the chance to be in both of those programs just for people who aren't as familiar um what was it like for you or what is it like for you? Yeah, 100%. So it's not an exaggeration to say that the accelerator really was the catalyst for my career. I think it came at a time when I I didn't know how to run a business, but I did have big dreams and goals and plans for myself. Um, and so I realized I needed a lot of support and guidance to get there. Um, and what I loved about the accelerator first was just how well structured it was. Because I think when you're new, you don't know what you don't know. And so it's really easy for you to fall into that shiny object syndrome. So it's like, oh, like, do I build a website first or do I get clients first or do I, um, do I, you know, do this other thing first? Like you can get really torn and paralyzed by all the overwhelmed. But the fact that, you know, you already gave us all the right steps in the right order that we needed to build the foundation for our business. And you did it in a way that made sense, right? So it's like you work on your mindset first, then you decide on a niche, then you set up the package. It's like it all just made sense. It all built on each other. And my favorite thing was like because everyone is in the same boat as you in the accelerator, like we are all at that beginning stage, you can all relate to each other. Like you can all relate to the challenges that you're facing. You all just like get each other. Um, And so like I feel like that was my favorite part of the experience was the community. Like some of my best friends are from that cohort and I still talk to a lot of them today so I think like if you're in the early stage and you don't know how to set up your biz the accelerator is a great experience and then I graduated from that so I feel like the accelerator was like my toddler years and now in the think tank I'm in my like teenage years of business so the think tank is all about taking that foundation and then building on it I think it really challenged me to grow so to um like I said run my own workshop Um, It challenged me to really niche further into pre-launch. It challenged me to then launch my own digital product. And I don't think any of that would have happened if I wasn't surrounded by a group of like 
high achievers and also having that guidance I needed to actually like go out there and do it and try to do it semi-right the first time around. So with those experiences in the background or as you continue in the think tank, what's next for you in your business, Ash? What's next for me is, again, continuing to build my authority and visibility. I think that I've done a good job in building, setting the foundation, and now it's all about amplifying all of the things I've done correctly and continuing to do that. And then also in the back end, fixing some of the things that I I still need to work on. So for me personally, that's like having proper systems and processes um, and working on more mindset stuff because that's always going to be a thing. Uh, but I'm just going to continue to grow and make more of an impact and also hit my sweet revenue goals. In a sentence or two, can you share what you think the future of copywriting looks like? Hmm, I think the future of copywriting is that there are going to be a lot more copywriters. I think people from all industries are going to start to recognize just how valuable it is. Just because, like, and I say that because, like, when I first started out, nobody knew what a copywriter was they thought that it was because I was a I went to law school they were like oh trademarks but that's very confusing (laughs) especially if you did go to law school (laughs) yes that's why I try to avoid telling people about law school but my point is I think that words are so powerful and people are going to start to recognize that a lot more and the word copywriter like when people hear that no matter what industry they're in they're going to recognize like, wow, like that is a really cool job to have. It's a very important job to have. And they're going to want to invest more money into it, more time into it. And and that. so that's what the future is. So Ash, if somebody wants to connect with you, get on your list, maybe show up for the next workshop that you do around pre-launch content or whatever it is that you decide to teach on, where should they go? Uh, you can follow me on at it's ash chow on all socials if you want to check out my website it is ashchow.com those are the two main places i hang out so definitely hit me up all right thank you ash this was so fun to just hear more about pre-launch and i am excited for you to speak at tcc irl this march so um can't wait to finally uh, see you on stage and hang out with you yes i'm excited thanks so much you guys That's our end of our interview with Ash Chow. Before we close, Kara, I know that we, we kind of talked out a lot of the stuff in the first half of this episode, but was there anything else in the second half that jumped out at you? Yeah, the biggest part of this conversation was how Ash has built her credibility, her authority, her expertise in our space um, so fast, right? I mean, Ash just jumped into her business, I believe, in 2020 when she joined us in the accelerator and she was a newbie business owner and, you know, from the outside looking at she's, she's taken off. So how, you know, how has she done it? There are many different ingredients we talked about in this episode, but one part that she mentioned, uh, the needle mover was hosting her first workshop. And I think it's so powerful to hear that because this is something that we do not need permission to do it. We don't have to like pitch ourselves to anyone, send the perfect cold email, Um, we can do this and we can choose to do it whenever we want. And Ash chose to host a workshop and she depended solely on herself, right? She had some partners to help promote it. She decided this is when I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be the host. I'm going to be the star of the workshop. And so it's the easiest thing for us to do yet. Most of us don't do it because it requires us 
giving permission to ourselves and basically stepping into this this new role in our business as this teacher and this authority figure. So that to me is the biggest opportunity for all of us to to host what we want to host, whether it's like hosting a workshop or hosting a Facebook Live or hosting a summit. We can all do that and we don't have to wait for anyone else. And and she's she's definitely um she's reaped the rewards from that experience because her business continues to take off because she chose herself and said, I'm going to do this. And even though it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk a lot about our own framework for building celebrity or, you know, that, that visibility, that expertise. Uh, and we talk about three areas, you know, there is the expertise side where you need to know something that your clients don't know. And she's done a really good job of building up her expertise in pre-launch content with the launch clients that she's worked with over the last couple of years. And then because she's been able to get really good results, she has the second part of that formula, which is trust. She's earned the trust of her clients and she can talk about what she does in a way that, you know, earns the trust of anybody who's listening to her. And then the third piece is visibility. And that's the hard part for most of us because many of us are introverts or many of us have that imposter complex going on and we feel like we don't have enough to share or maybe we aren't far enough along in the journey or, you know, why would anybody listen to us when there are people out there who know more? And so stepping into that visibility, giving yourself permission to go out on podcasts and talk about what you do, to create your own stage like Ash did with her workshop and speak up and share the things that you know and, and demonstrate your expertise. And again, allow people to, to trust that you know what you do. Those three pieces, expertise, trust, and visibility um, work together to create you know, that kind of celebrity. Uh, I know notoriety isn't the right word because it has this negative context, but you're looking for people to see you as an expert. And in order to do that, you've got to be visible. And I love that Ash created her own stage to speak on. And then it resulted in an invitation to speak in other stages, including ours. Yeah. Ultimately, when you, when you bet on yourself, you know, other people are going to bet on you. When you choose yourself, then it's sending a message to people who are paying attention. Oh, well, if you believe in yourself, then we believe in you too. And you've proved the concept. You've proved that you can do it. And so um, it was fun in this conversation to ask Ash, I think I, I did it probably quite awkwardly, but to ask her to speak at TCC IRL, the timing worked out perfectly with this interview and then the planning of the event so that we could do that. <laughs> and it was really fun to do it. And I'm glad that Ash said yes. And I'm so excited to um, have Ash on our stage and that she's flying in from, from Australia just for the event. So um, clearly, you know, it's, it's cool when you can connect the dots and say, well, uh, Ash did her own workshop in November, 2021. And then months later, you know, she's going to be on uh, a stage, you know, a, a, bi a big stage at our event speaking uh, because she chose herself. Yeah. The other thing that I love that Ash mentioned as far as setting up her own workshop is what she talked when she talked about mindset and the fact that putting yourself out there is the win. Creating the workshop is the win. It does not matter if nobody shows up. It doesn't matter if everything goes wrong. It doesn't matter if anybody buys because the thing that you are doing is showing up and creating the stage, the presentation, whatever. And so just getting yourself out there is the win. And the more you do that, the more the other things follow, the more your list grows, the more people buy your product, the more people show up and, and listen, and the easier it all becomes. But that first maybe the second or third time 
the win is just getting up on stage, just showing up for the interview, just getting whatever it is that you want to talk about out into the world so that you're, you're showing up as the expert. That's the win. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you liked what you heard today, specifically today, please, please, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We would really appreciate it. We pay attention to it. Mostly, Rob, I think you pay attention to it more than I do, hopefully. Yeah, we actually had a couple of interviews come through uh, two or three weeks ago. I I keep thinking at some point we should read some of these on on air, but we do really appreciate when people share their thoughts or, you know, how the podcast has impacted them, their business. So if you do have a chance, go over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. We would appreciate it. If you liked it, if you liked it, only leave it if you liked it. Exactly. And if you enjoyed this episode, you want to listen to something similar, check out episode number 67 when we interviewed Emma Simasco. Uh, That's a really good interview about setting boundaries and expands on what some of the stuff we talked about with Ash today. And in episode 143, Lauren Hazel shared her experience in selling workshops as part of her business. And there's some really good ideas there too. If you want to hear Ash speak live or meet her, then get your ticket to TCC IRL, the Copywriter Club, in real life now. VIP tickets are gone, but you can still join us for all the regular sessions. You can meet the speakers and our other attendees at the big cocktail party Tuesday night. You can uh, make new friends with the dinner adventures and the lunch adventures that we do. It's such a great event. You don't want to miss it. And you can find the link for the event in the show notes for this episode or stop what you're doing right now. If you're driving, pull over. If you're doing the laundry, pull out your laptop and enter the copywriterclub.com forward slash TCCIRL dash 2022. That's TCCIRL dash 2022 into your web browser and you can get your tickets to the event and we will see you in Nashville at the end of March. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the